Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by Summer at SLU. Find your kids' best summer yet at St. Louis University. Okay, three, two, one, hit it. It's the Chris and Amy Show. You know who it is. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show. Now, Amy Marks scores Chris Ranji on KMOX. It is the Chris and Amy show with you on a Tuesday morning. I hope you're listening all morning alongside with us. 1120 AM, 98.7 FM um, is a really nice sound. If you're along the Highway 40 corridor, you could also use the Odyssey app, download it for free. And if you miss anything, check us out on the podcast, the Chris and Amy show, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, normally we would do our top three, what everyone is talking about at this time. But right now we're going to start with the top one that everyone is talking about. And that is the border bill that Speaker Mike Johnson has said is dead on arrival and the whole humanitarian crisis we've got at our southern border. And to discuss that with us is Missouri Governor Mike Parson, a special guest joining us this morning. He is back in Jefferson City after spending the weekend in Texas. Governor Parson, thank Thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, glad to be on. Glad to talk to you again. Only I was thinking on the top three, uh, but I guess I better be serious about that. I thought you were going to ask me about the Chiefs and the Super Bowl, but I guess, <laughs> oh. I guess we better talk about the border. That's more, a little I mean, more serious. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it is Taylor Swift, the Chiefs, and the Super Bowl. That That's up there with what everyone is talking about. Okay, let's get serious. I better get serious this morning. <laughs> well, uh, Governor Parson, you are back at Jefferson um, in Jefferson City after meeting with Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, along with 13 other Republican governors. Uh, the Missouri National Guard, some members are already in Texas, and you said that you want to send additional resources to Texas. Let's set the table of uh, what you experienced down there in Texas and what you hope to do. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me explain the reason I went with to be part of uh, Operation Lone Star. Uh, It's at the point now where we're trying to figure out, okay, what is the mission to be accomplished here? It's not just about sending troops down there or whatever resources we have. It's more of a question, what are you going to do with them when we send them? How long are they going to be there? And what is the mission that they're going to be required to do? And how does that secure the border? So first of all, that's kind of what that briefing was about that day. Uh, and what resources they need. So we come back, we're meeting today and uh, for a few days trying to analyze what we can have to send down there. I think the the other thing that was just such an eye-opener for me is the first time I'd been there, and I'd seen all the things on TV and read the articles, both pro and con about it, but I've never seen anything like what those people down there are going through as far as the border being totally wide open. And there's no question about that. And I think what Texas is trying to do is do what the federal government won't do and what the president won't do. And unfortunately, and and I know everybody tries to put the political spin on this, but the reality of it is the president of the United States could stop this tomorrow and then negotiate up there in Washington, D.C. all they want to. 
But I think uh, I'm like Governor Abbott. I don't have much faith in Washington, D.C. to get much of anything done. I think that system's broke. I think the president's broken. I think the border's broken. So I don't know how broken pieces can fix something that's broken, but uh, and that's why the states, while we're doing what we're doing, why 25 governors have come together, half of the United States, to try to protect the border and the people that are coming across there. And I think, uh, as you know, and everybody else knows, the Senate has agreed on a bipartisan border bill and that the border needs a more permanent solution, not just executive orders. I think we can all agree to that. Um, and this is a bill that the uh, you know, Customs has endorsed, the Border Patrol Union has endorsed, um, uh, the, the Senate GOP, for the most part, has endorsed, but it's not going to go through. Do you think that that bill could help? And if so, why are they not going to pass it? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I've heard just what uh, is on the news clips on it, both pro and con. And again, it's just typical Washington, D.C. bureaucrats uh, going after each other. At the end of the day, I doubt anything gets done because it never does. And I don't know why until the president of the United States says, I'm going to stop this. And then we figure out what the regulatory involvement is or, or to pass a bill. I get it. But every day they're talking, thousands and thousands of people are coming across the border. And, and I thought, you know, sometimes I think most people think, okay, they're coming from that Mexican side. The reality of it, they're coming from Nigeria. They're coming from Turkey. They're just coming from all countries all across the world. Nobody allows that to happen. And when you think of 10 million people crossing the border, and I just want the everyday person here to just think this for a minute. If that, in fact, they probably do have that many people coming across the border, that is in the top 10 population of the states of the United States. You just need to let that soak in for a second. They Now, if they were all in one area and one state, they would be in the 10th largest state in the United States. Yeah, when I look at the numbers, we go back to December when we had record high over 250 arrests in December. That was up 31% from the month before. We see that it truly is a humanitarian crisis down there and something needs to be done. Um, You've said, you know, with D.C. bureaucrats, you're not sure about that immigration bill that Mike Johnson has said is dead on arrival. What did you or do you hope to accomplish with the Missouri National Guard? Yeah, I think there's a real plan in place uh, of securing the border. I, I think what Governor Abbott did and the resources they had at, at Eagle Pass when they put the Constantine wire up and stuff like that, that went from 3,000 immigrants come across a day to three. So you know that works. Now, that doesn't mean they don't go somewhere else and try to cross somebody else. But you have to understand the cartel on the other side has to have the infrastructure in place to move that kind of people. So it's not like you can just go down the road 10 miles and cross the river. You've got to have the infrastructure for people to come there. How are you going to take care of them? How are you going to get them to where they can get across that, that river? And I think the things a lot of people don't know is the cartels getting somewhere between 5000 and 8000 ahead for somebody to cross the border. That's what they charge to get them to that river and to head them across there. And, I, I mean, this thing is not good for anybody right now. It's not even good for the people trying to get in here. I mean, it will be eventually if they get in here and they get in here safe. But, I mean, the, the trail that some of them goes, I'm sure people are losing their lives. You know, you got sex trafficking, human trafficking, drugs. I mean, there's just so many downsides to simply just 
put the border, have some sort of entry point where people have to be processed. And the I think part of the issue, from my understanding, is they want to make sure that process makes sense and is streamlined yeah. so that it takes months instead of years to get through, which is why a lot of people are crossing illegally. And in the state of Missouri, immigrant labor is important. It may not be as important here as it is in states like California or in Texas, but there is a recognition that we do need immigrants in the workforce, right? And, and yeah, to but, streamline that process should be the goal. Yeah, there, there's no question about that. I, I mean, you have an India population, for example, up there, uh, I believe in the St. Louis area, probably 25,000. You have the Spanish communities up there, uh, the Hispanics that are up there. I mean, you've got people that's come over here and done it the right way, and they brought their relatives, they brought their friends. You know, heck yeah, we want people to come across here and to be good citizens. But what we're doing now is just mass chaos. And... I, you know, the fentanyl, of course, this is the law enforcement side, I mean, but the fentanyl coming across that border, what we know of is just record numbers. And the White House tried to put a spin on that through the media, like, well, it's Americans that are getting arrested for selling fentanyl. It's the source of where they're getting the fentanyl that we ought to be focused on. And 49 kids last year in our state, 49 little children died by simple being exposed to fentanyl, not using it, nothing else, just little toddlers running around, and they die because they're exposed to fentanyl. That ought to be enough for everybody to say, hey, we don't want no more of this. Governor Parson, I know you've got a busy schedule. We could talk to you longer, but before we let you go, I did want to ask you about your panel discussion discussion tonight. It's regarding the Israel-Hamas war and the rise of anti-Semitism. This will be alongside Mark Wilt, the president and co-owner of the Minnesota Vikings. It's hosted by the Jewish Federation of St. Louis. What do you want people to know about tonight? Well, I I think it's important that, that one, that the Jewish community and, and Israel for me and my one of my personal beliefs and one as governor that you know we stand beside them and to do what they've had to go through is just unbelievable in today's world to have that many people massacred and everything and i think the message is we want to be able to say that we support them for that we also want to make sure the message is clear too that i've had to come to to grips with you know not everybody is a bad person because they're associated as a palestine You know, uh, I mean, they're not all bad people. So I think trying to put them in the same umbrella as Hamas, you got to be careful with that. So and and I'm not afraid to speak that, you know, uh, to them either. But, you know, what happened up there is I want them to know, look, we stand behind you. These these terrorists need to be taken out where they're at because they're just never going to stop if you don't fight back. Missouri Governor Mike Parson, thank you so much for your time this morning. We really appreciate it and hope to talk to you again soon. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Thank you. That is Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Well, Ranj, a lot to unpack, a lot to talk about today. Uh, he is Chris Ranji. I'm Amy Scores, and we'll get into it. The interview with the governor, along with our other topics in the top three. This is the Chris and Amy Show on KMO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players coaches, and team executives, streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 
Now, for the top of the order, the top three stories everybody will be talking about. Well, we just spoke with Missouri Governor Mike Parson about his trip to the southern border. We'll discuss his ideas for how Missouri can help secure the border. We also discussed Congress and the border bill, and it's a bill that Mike Johnson has said is dead on arrival. That is House Speaker Mike Johnson. Uh, We'll discuss whether or not that would be something finally bipartisan and helpful. And Toby Keith, country music star, has passed away at the age of 62 after a battle with cancer. But I've never seen anything like what those people down there are going through as far as the border being totally wide open. And there's no question about that. And I think what Texas is trying to do is do what the federal government won't do and what the president won't do. You know, Ronj, that was Governor Mike Parson. There was something uh, very refreshing and real about what Governor Parson had to say about going down there, seeing the border, seeing the crisis. And it was really quite separate from, isolated from the immigration bill in Congress right now. He said, I've seen what you've seen in the news. I've read about it. It's D.C. bureaucracy. But here's what I know as a concerned governor, along with other concerned governors going down to Texas to help Greg Abbott. And everything he pointed out was true. We do have a crisis. No, I don't think there's any question about that. But where I disagree with him is I don't believe that you can remove that from the politics that's happening on the congressional level right now, because there is an effort, a bipartisan effort that has been worked on for months, about four months we're talking about here, that 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 all these sides got together. You had an independent, you had a Republicans, you have Democrats all getting together, working on this bill and getting something done which could alleviate a lot of the problems at the southern border. So I don't really think you can separate those two things. And I, th- I think the only reason you'd want to do that is the recognition that it's your party that is causing the problems, that they don't really want to solve this issue. And I'm not saying this border bill is a cure-all. Mm-hmm. We know that it won't be. No. But it, it, it would be a huge step in the right direction, and why would you not take it? Yeah, and I just bring up the separation because it's not like – Governor Parson was campaigning one way or the other or has any sway in the House, right? And he, what he pointed out, too, about the leniency of the United States at the border, that was something that shocked me in the past few years, having looked at immigration laws, border crossings in the EU, for instance, in Europe, and how, I mean, you talk about stringent measures, When you look at other European countries, whether it's Denmark or Switzerland or what the EU is doing in general, coordinating with the Libyan Coast Guard to keep migrants from even reaching European shores. I mean, it's really quite shocking. So, again, you have to still it's not we're not talking about moral relativity relativity here. We're not even talking about immigration relativity, but it does put into perspective that. As Governor Parson said, no other country allows the numbers across the border that we do with as much leniency as we do. He also pointed out rightly that 
the current policy, the current system the way it is, is not even helping those who are trying to cross the border because you're seeing a lot of abuses of the system, which ultimately ends up in abuses of the people, women and children trying to cross. And I would say one of the reasons we as a country are more lenient about letting people in, not just because it's been you know, a thing for a couple of hundred years here uh, to to be a, a place that immigrants can go and build a life for themselves. But it is a unique country in the sense that we've got so much farmland and we have so many different industries that rely on immigrant labor. And if, if, if farmers will tell you, especially farmers of, of larger, um, you know, larger farms will tell you that they need people to come over here and work, even if it's just seasonal work, that they need that to happen. And I imagine that's a big part of the leniency. I mean, he's right about uh, the governor is right about things like fentanyl. We do have to get a handle on that. It is true. And he mentioned that uh, uh, that the administration has said a, a large percentage of them are coming through ports of entry and are United States citizens. And that's true. It's over 86 percent of the fentanyl that is trafficked into the United States is brought in by people who are citizens and they are going through ports of entry. That's the DEA saying that um, it's it's not, you know, just made up numbers out of thin air. And so there clearly has to be something done about that. But it isn't this. I think people have this fantasy that there are these mules crossing the border and sneaking in past, um, you know, past Border Patrol with all this fentanyl. There might be some of that, but the vast majority of it is coming from regular ports of entry from people who are United States citizens already. So it is something that needs to be handled. Mm -hmm. But I think we it's almost like we're going about it the wrong way or are directing our anger at the wrong places. I will say, man, I don't know. I don't think any of us realize exactly the strain and the crisis that these Texas border towns are experiencing. I know we've seen cities, sanctuary cities like New York, like Chicago, they're getting migrants bus to them. And I know I I don't like using people as political pawns, but seeing those cities become overwhelmed with the migrants that are heading there unexpectedly, that is in a lot of ways a tip of the iceberg of what Texas towns are experiencing. And so something has to be done because I can't imagine being in Texas in those towns and being overwhelmed by sure. the humanitarian crisis overtaking them. Sure. But it's also not how U.S. cities should uh, treat other U.S. cities or other states should treat other states. We're all Americans here. Let's try to work the problem together. He is Chris Ranji. I'm Amy Mark. Scores, how is that border bill doing in Congress? CBS News correspondent Scott McFarland joins us next. Chris Ranji, Amy Mark scores alongside of you. And Scott McFarland got pulled into some breaking news, um, as it occasionally happens when you're the CBS News correspondent. So Scott McFarland um, covering some breaking news. But Ranj, we have seen it ourselves. We've seen the Chirons on TV, the newspaper headlines that a federal appeals court today rejected former President Trump's claim that he was immune to charges of plotting to subvert the results of the 2020 election. Yeah, that's according to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And I kind of figured this is the ruling that was going to come down, even though I'm not a legal expert. I just I I didn't see them granting him this and I don't think they should. And it's not because it's him. 
this for me, this goes for anybody just because you're president of the United States. And I know for a fact that people who are fans of the former president would not want Joe Biden to have presidential immunity. They wouldn't want any Democratic president to have that. So I think it's only fair that this is how we we treat people who are in the office because they're not dictators. They're, they're not kings. You can't, if you've committed a crime while in office, it doesn't matter what your office is, and it doesn't matter who you are or what party you represent. You need to be held accountable, or you should be open to account. You know, I just, I can't, I can't disagree with the ruling on its surface, um, and I kind of figured this is how it's going to go. I'm sure he's not going to like it, but can we all agree that no matter who you are or what party you re- represent, when you're in office, you don't get to have immunity. Mm-hmm. You don't get to commit crimes and have no punishment come your way whatsoever if, in fact, you have committed them. And that's to be decided in a court of law that has not been determined yet. But I think that we all can agree that nobody is above that, right? Yeah. And I think we've seen coming out of this case goofy or ridiculous hypotheticals uh, that were asked of Donald Trump, like, could you as the president order to have someone assassinated, you know, a political rival assassinated? So, of course, the immunity that you do get or the protection or leniency that you do get as president of the United States is not unlimited. That makes zero sense. Um, With this specific ruling, it was the panel, a three-judge panel, 57 pages. As the New York Times pointed out, it is A significant moment in American jurisprudence because it, as you pointed out, answers the question, can former presidents escape being held accountable by the criminal justice system for things they did while in office? Right. And I don't know who disagrees with this. Yeah. Do you unless you are a person who just believes that your side or who whatever party you follow is righteous? And any means necessary to have that person in office and do whatever they feel is necessary because they align with you politically, unless you're that, I don't see how you can disagree with the ruling. Or I I, I don't see how you could disagree with the idea that if, if a person is in office for just four years or eight years, that that doesn't buy you a lifetime of immunity for what are whatever crimes you may have committed while you're there mm-hmm. who want, as an american if you believe in democracy at all why would you not why would you not side with that opinion why would you not side with that idea yeah well that uh breaking now and and ronj i know we were going to talk about the border bill uh, a little bit with scott mcfarlane and i, I yeah. do i do want to bring that up because i know that this bill is falls far short of what needs to be done, in my opinion. I know a lot of people are bringing up the numbers. And just to recap, here it is again, that the bill would allow an option for the president to exercise Title 42 type authority if there are 4,000 illegal crossings a day and it mandates that the president execute that authority if there are 5,000 crossings a day over the course of seven days, or if on a single day there are 8,500 crossings. Now, there is a limit 
of how many days the president can use this authority while those numbers are being hit. And that number declines each year until it expires in the third year. His his authority expires in the third year. So it is far from a perfect bill. And I guess people could say, well, if the president doesn't enforce it, what's the point? I just feel like, can you move forward with it? And then after the next election, see who's in office and keep moving forward with a more stringent bill. Well, I I think that's a a bit of a weak um, argument against the bill is, oh, well, the president's not going to do it anyway. Okay, well, then let him fall on that sword. Let him deal with the consequences of a bipartisan border deal being agreed upon and then him saying, "Eh, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to do these things. That would be if he, in fact, wants to be president still for another four years after this, um, there's no chance in hell that he wouldn't go along with it because it would be absolute political suicide for a a campaign that's already tenuous right Mm now. He's he's in a losable position already. Just imagine if Democrats and Republicans come together, work for months on a border bill and say, here it is. And then he says, well, actually, I'm not going to do any of that. Yeah, OK. <laughs> if you're worried about losing, well, then you've just secured that. You're going to get smoked when November rolls around. And Democrats would probably get smoked when November comes around. I'm, I just don't I don't buy that argument. I also don't. I mean, it could be very well that Democrats are glad that Republicans are holding this up because look at this narrative. The optics of this are great for Democrats. They finally tried to do something against about the border and Republicans are holding up the bill. That doesn't look great for Republicans going into 2024. I and I will especially say especially put, Amy. Yeah. When when it's it's pretty well known that the, the former president who's campaigning right now has told them he doesn't want them to pass it. Because it helps Biden. Mm-hmm. And that is out there. People know that now. That's not a secret. And I and Trump obviously campaigned on building the wall and he didn't build the wall and didn't make Mexico pay for it. We know that. What we do know, though, is that rhetoric matters. We do know that during the Biden administration, we are seeing record numbers of encounters and illegal crossings. We know that for a time, Biden reversed some of the Title 42 authority. We know that he reversed the remain in Mexico policy and then has gone back and and brought some of it back. We also know that the Democratic rhetoric, especially around 2020 leading into 2020, was very, very heavily in favor of being more lenient at the border, decriminalizing illegal crossings. And that rhetoric matters. I always say words matter. That's one reason why President Trump has been the target of a lot of my criticism because words do matter. And I do think that Democratic rhetoric created an attractive nuisance at the border where people are feeling like they have a chance. They have a chance in this administration to get across and be okay. Well, I think that it's a bigger problem with people who are uh, closer to the situation, uh, people convincing those to come over here. I don't think it's I think it is partly what you're talking about, but you've got a lot of of those, I guess you want to call them mules, right, who are convincing uh, those people that, hey, there's an opportunity for you over there and you better go there and you can get them to do whatever you want them to do because they're desperate. I think there's a lot of that, too, which is out of the president's control and it's out of the administration's control. But you're right. It's not it's not completely um 
out of his responsibility, but he's also deported more people than the former president did, than the president before that did. So I I don't buy this open border thing. I mean, they can keep saying open border, open border, open border over and over again, and it will stick because it's catchy, but it's not really the case. Yes, there are a lot of people who are trying to get here, but they're also sending a lot of people back too. Yeah, and again, it's if you're going to enforce the laws strictly or if you're going to decriminalize certain aspects. I bring up... I think it was Columbia, Missouri years ago, they can't decriminalize marijuana, but they effectively did by making it a crime that was, I think, lower than a parking ticket, right? So it doesn't matter. It's effectively decriminalizing it. I think if you do have incredibly lenient policies at the border, it is effectively decriminalizing illegal crossings. But if they're getting sent back, I'm not sure how that, that doesn't really jive with making it totally open and legal yeah. i mean none of it fixes the process of we need immigrants this is we this do. is an undeniable fact we do and we need the it, when the process takes years instead of months that's why a lot of people go around it well and here's what um, i'm having a hard time reconciling i don't know if you saw the 60 minute story about chinese immigrants making their way to mexico to the southern border to get into the united states they're using tiktok for instructions I and I, as Governor Parson said, you do have you have Nigerians, you have people from other countries. Man, oh, man, if I'm if I'm in Afghanistan and I risked my life, my livelihood, my family and everything I had to get to America and I did all the right things and I was vetted for years. And then Trump started slowing down the process and then Biden pulled out and ended it completely. And I'm waiting, basically left for dead in Afghanistan and Hundreds of thousands of people are crossing at the southern border. I would be frustrated out of my mind. I'd say, well, I'm getting to Mexico. I'm just going to cross the border that way. Sure, sure. And I I completely agree with you on that. Anybody in Afghanistan who helped us and who risked their lives, and many of them did die by helping us, they absolutely should be here, no questions asked, and it should happen yesterday. There There isn't any argument against that. He's Chris Ranji. I'm Amy Mark Scores. Did you see this is next. Did you see that thing? I can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong. This is a joke, right? Oh, my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way. You got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? Hey, Ranj, did you see this? The St. Louis Blues are going to be back in the Winter Classic, baby. Oh, tell me more about it. Well, this is according to Ben Pope with the Chicago Sun-Times. The Blues will face off against the Blackhawks in the 2025 Winter Classic at Wrigley Field. Oh, so you said 2025? Mm -hmm. That's next year. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Because they played here, it was a 2017 or 16. I think it was 16. I can't remember. It was the 16-17 season. So, okay. yeah. So it was actually, I think, it, I want to say it was right before I moved back to St. Louis. You moved back that late? A, uh, 2017. Really? Yeah. I feel like you've been here forever, honestly. Oh, um, man. It's, yeah, I it feel, feel like. It feels like. <laughs> I feel like forever. You're... Yeah. Okay. So 2017. Then you just missed it. Well, okay. Um, Did you I'm go? looking forward to having it back. No. Oh. 
look too cold. It was warm. That's the problem. It was like 65 degrees. It was? And it was so then foggy. What am I thinking of? I don't know. It was so foggy. Oh, that was in Minnesota when it was that cold. Oh, okay. When it was like zero degrees. But it was so foggy because of the warmth at the Winter Classic that was here at Bush Stadium. You couldn't even see the arch, which, I mean, you're on national TV. You kind of want to be able to see the skyline from Bush Stadium. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could see the skyline in the city and look how pretty it is with well, the weeds growing out of the millennium. I do love Although it. Although would, it would have been winter, so they probably would have been dead, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. They're just the brown weeds. Yeah. Amy, did you see this story of uh, a man in the Canary Islands, okay. 71, who was almost licked to death by his pet chihuahua? What? No, yeah. I didn't. He he almost died because because well, let me just read the story for you. Okay. Um, doctors believe seventy-one-year-old from the Canary Islands may have caught a rare bug from being licked by his what? Chihuahua. The man who has not been named spent three weeks in the hospital. He was given an oxygen mask to help him breathe. Eventually, he developed sepsis as a reaction to the infection. Before seeking help, uh, the man had suffered days of diarrhea and a high fever. This, according to the Daily Mail, took him a week to go to the hospital, by which point he was short of breath and coughing up mucus. Oh, my gosh. He was a former smoker with type 2 diabetes. Uh, he had high blood pressure and lung disease. And um, then they saw a mass in his right lung, which happened to be an infection. It was pneumonia. He went to septic shock. And yeah. it was all because his dog licked him. Uh, the the blood test revealed he had something called Pasteurella multicida, mm-hmm. which is a bacteria commonly found in dogs' mouths. And they try to tell us that a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's. Come on, man. Ugh. Well, come on. This is okay. I b- kind of believe the dog thing that the dog's mouth is cleaner than I don't know a toilet seat or a human. We don't have. I get that. We d- we don't have Pasteurella multicida. No, but we've got other things. And listen, if I oh. have to get licked by a dog on the mouth or lick a toilet seat, Ew. I'm taking my chances with the dog for sure. Well, but I did hear a story similar to what you said. A dog, a ki- a, a guy had a a wound. It sounds too serious, but a cut, and the dog was licking it while he was sleeping because dogs try to take care of people. And anyway, they had to amputate his leg. Because he oh, had ow, the ow. bacteria See? in the dog's mouth, got into the guy's bloodstream. And ever since I read that, I've been a little freaked out. Well, here's another one for you, Amy. Did you see the story about a uh, guy from Roseville, Michigan, mm-hmm. who is charged with second-degree murder of his 72-year-old roommate? Mm. The murderer's name is Mark Joseph Newsom, and he allegedly killed his roommate, Dale Mitchell. Do you want to know why? Why? He snored. Because... Because Mitchell stole his Taco Bell. Well, is that Andrew? (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) Andrew Andrew from the Dave Glover Show loves Taco Bell. Everybody loves Taco Bell. Everybody does love Taco Bell. What are you? What? Damn. I was just asking. That's what reporters are supposed to do. Ask the uncomfortable questions and speak truth to power. That's what I was doing. Oh, my God. I hope you admit to saying that. I hope you tell Andrew what you've done. I think he'd be proud. I think he would easily kill you over Taco Bell. 
I think I a lot of steal our listeners his Taco Bell. would. A lot of our listeners would. Especially this guy well, that's been texting for the past 10 oh. minutes. <laughs> Some people disagree with Chris Ranji, but that's why we're here. You're yeah. ruining the country, you lib. Yeah, but... Hey, we want to hear from you. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. Call or text. Lots of issues. We want to hear from you. Thank you to those who have texted already. He's Chris Ranji. I'm Amy Mark Scores. This is the Chris and Amy Show. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.